Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Sometimes I feel like the distance between where I want to be and where I am is impossibly wide. Do you ever feel that way? When you're someone who has many creative passions, it can be a struggle to find your way, trust the journey, and tell your authentic story along each step of the path. Today's guest is a multi-passionate creative who will teach you how to always keep going toward yourself and your dream and own your story. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative, and this show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love, trust, and know yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Olivia Christian. She's an entrepreneur, coach, sports host, and author, best known for her work on NPR, ESPN Radio, and her acclaimed workshop, Own Your Story, which helps participants find their personal brand story. Through her workshop, she's partnered with companies such as LinkedIn, Facebook, Indeed, Microsoft, and many more. I actually met Olivia back when I was producing Girl Boss Radio. We met literally right before the lockdown in March 2020, which was wild. Back then, I was struck by her warmth, authenticity, bubbly personality, and kindness. We've always kept in touch, and I just love that her life mission has everything to do with figuring out who you are and how to communicate that to the world. From today's chat, you'll learn how to create a personal brand story, build consistency, stop yourself from falling into a comparison trap, deal with the distance between where you are with your dreams and where you want to go, and why, if you love it, you should always keep going. Now here she is, Olivia Christian. Olivia, let's jump in. I love you. I was actually just looking back on the show prep. You came on Girl Boss Radio back when I used to produce it in 2020. It was March 4th, 2020. What? Yeah, one of the last things I did before the world shut down was Girl Boss Radio. That's wild. I want to talk about what is your story? You teach this workshop called Own Your Story, which is so incredible. But what is your story? How did you come to do what you do today? I have to say there are elements or threads of my story that have been present since I was a little kid, but it wasn't until I started learning how to create a personal brand story that I realized those threads and those common themes kept showing up for me. So initially, I'd say the first memory I have about what I wanted to be when I grew up was to be president. Um, I was really like, I want to be the first black president. I want to be the first woman president. And so the first few years of my life, from like 18 to 25, I worked in policy. I worked with nonprofit organizations. I worked for elected representatives. I was on track. Like I had this planned. I wasn't the girl in college that was doing keg stands. I did not allow myself to have pictures with me with a red cup. I was like, nope, I'm going to be mayor one day. I'm going to be president or something. But then around the age of 25, 26, I realized I did not want to work for elected representatives and I didn't want to run for office myself. I wanted to be more in charge of 
who I worked on behalf of without kind of compromising my values in any way. But the common thread for me was wanting to do stuff to support other people, yeah. helping them navigate their lives, their neighborhoods, their needs, housing, clothing, shelter, whatever those things were. That was the thing I knew I always wanted to do. So can I ask you a quick question on that? You had to basically put that dream that you had held in your heart since you were a little girl aside grieve it and then reinvent your life. That is no small task. Even when you find yourself in the job and it's not exactly what you thought it would be or really not what you thought it would be, it's still no small task to let go of a dream and completely rebuild from square one. How did you get there and like what was that grieving process like? Because I wasn't hurt externally by my dreams, it was internal feeling, right? I decided I wanted to make sure that I felt a certain way in my work. So I was determined to chase whatever path allowed me to live the kind of life of service to others that I could be afforded to me. But I knew that I had to make the effort. I wasn't expecting other people to make my dreams come true, especially because my dreams were wild when I was young, right? Try to be president. So I didn't suffer an emotional grief at all, but I did struggle financially. First of all, when you're working for electeds on a city, county, or state level, you're not making money. You know, you're doing it because you feel a sense of duty and service and you want to make an impact on others. So when I started working for myself, working as a consultant, and this being January of 2023, this is now the 18th year I've been working for myself. And I'm like, I don't know where the time has gone. <laughs> if anybody's watching this on video, I hope you're thinking, wow, black don't crack. Yes, black doesn't crack until hopefully much later. But in any case, working for others means you're not in it for the money. I was always kind of a paycheck away from being on the other side of the donation table. If you're in that position, you have to be doing it out of love. So when I left working for electeds and started to work for myself, I really didn't like throw that whole life away. I had built relationships, contacts, professional experience with a lot of locally based nonprofit organizations and some corporations here and there. So I just went to my contacts and let them know I work for me now. If you want me to do this for you, don't contact the mayor. I'm right here. You can contact me. It was a struggle. I mean, it was hard. Luckily, I had family and friends who could step in every now and then who could spot me on a happy hour, which, you know, would turn into happy hours <laughs> grieving. But it's been ups and downs and it's been seasons of feasts, seasons of famine. But I've always really just tried to stay true to the fact that I don't want to have that feeling in my gut on a Sunday afternoon where I'm thinking about the week ahead. How am I going to get through it? This is going to be a struggle. Like, I don't want to live my life that way. So I did and continue to do the work so I can live the kind of way that I want to live and work in the way that I want to work and hopefully have the kind of impact that I think I'm having on people. Hopefully that's happening. Oh, it is. So when you quit the job, I think that this is like a skill set they don't really teach us. Like, how do you quit in the right way? <laughs> I try to stay away from things like the right way. Okay. In a good way. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I feel like there probably is a right way, but it's hard for you to know that it's the right way until you've done it, right? True. There are certain aspects of it that you won't know until you've done it. I do think living by Instagram slogans that are just like, live your life and love your career. Like, yeah, that's nice. But the reality is the rent is due every month on the first and there are penalties for being late. So you have to think about that stuff. At the time that I quit and started working for myself, I was working on a state level in California. 
So I had to think about those bills that were coming. How long could I last off of the savings, which was quite minimal? Because again, I wasn't making a lot of money to begin with. Like, How long could I last before I got my first client? How long could that work last with this client? Is it a one and done kind of project? Is it six months or a year? How many could I take on? Like as one person, company of one, and I still remain a company of one, how many different projects could I handle at one time? And it was really test and see, but I didn't quit until I at least had confirmation from, I think I had one or two clients at the time. And the work that they asked me to do wasn't like random, crazy. Oh my God, how do I figure this out? It was stuff that I was confident that I knew that I could do and I knew that they could pay. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take that leap. So it wasn't just like I quit and then I'm like, I'll find my clients later. Like, no, I found clients before. So I had that and I had the skill set to do what I told people that I could do. And so that resulted in other people hiring me and feeling confident that I could do what I said I could do. And yeah, 18 years later, here we are. It's incredible. So you said you were consulting at first. How did it transition into the workshops that you now do? So the workshop Own Your Story, I started sharing in 2013. And I was just sharing with clients that I was working with, with their interns that were coming in for the summer or their board. And I saw the impact it was having on them. I was like, wow. And I was like, yes, this is exciting. And one of my clients was a female-led startup. And they were putting on this huge conference for women that were coming from all over the country to San Francisco. They had different professional backgrounds, levels of experience, different races, ages. It was just wonderful. And the client asked me to do my session for these women. And I was like, what? And it was a three-hour session. I've never done it for that long. And I'd never done it for a group that wasn't connected to each other. Because again, I was doing it for teams, boards, and volunteers. And so I didn't know how they would respond. But after my three-hour session, I think lunch was after my session, And I was just, you know, emotionally exhausted. I made it through. But a number of women lined up to talk to me afterwards. And I was like, you realize it's lunch. You want to talk to me? The sandwiches are being handed out. I'm like, no. And they were walking up and telling me that I did a great job and they thought I should do it more often. And I share this in the workshop even till this day is initially I was deflecting the compliments. Initially, I was just like, what? No, you guys are just happy to be here. It's not that great. But because the line was so long, I didn't have time to deflect and have an argument with everyone in line. I had to just stop saying no. (laughs) I started saying, yes, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah. And then the feeling that I started feeling by saying yes and thank you became like addicting. It was like a wave kind of came over me like, yeah, this is cool. Maybe I can do this. And then I went home and started planning, like, how am I going to share this more broadly beyond just my nonprofits and a couple female-led startups as clients. And I created a strategy. I talked to some folks about that strategy, although I wasn't really relying on a lot of them to give me advice because none of them were working for themselves. I just was like, am I crazy? And they're like, I don't think it's crazy. And it worked out. And I can talk about what that actual strategy was if you want to get into it, but it boils down to the fact of me taking a compliment and building on that compliment instead of deflecting folks telling me good things about myself. I was accepting those compliments, letting it sink in. And then I figured out a way to build on it. And now it becomes the thing that I do most often. 
Yeah, and there's so many good takeaways from what you just said. I mean, first of all, I think a lot of us struggle with taking compliments and wanting to like throw them right back at the other person or say no, which is kind of rude when you think about it. It's like someone took time and breath to say something nice about you and you're like, oh no. It's like, you're wrong, you know? You're totally wrong. Your eyes are, yeah. <laughs> you don't see correctly, whatever. Right, it's such a natural thing, but like also it's kind of weird. But I love that your tactic was literally, well, you didn't really make it a tactic, but now it is. Just accept it as fast as you can so that you can move on and like start feeling what it feels like to actually hold something that somebody says about you. And then once you do hold it, building upon it, like you said. So taking those compliments, taking that feedback, because compliments are really feedback. It's something you're doing right by another person's estimation. So taking that as feedback and then saying, okay, what feels true to me about that? And how can I make it even more true for myself. Yeah. And you know, you hit upon something that, like I said, I've shared this story in a number of the workshops that I've hosted. And I get this mostly when they're women in the space, they have a hard time either being proud of themselves. They don't want to sound braggy. So they deflect. And like, I'm like, well, if you're asking for a raise, you need to remind your boss, your supervisor, your director of what you've achieved. And they're like, well, I don't want to have to tell I'm like, you're what are you doing? You, you've done the thing. It's okay to remind people or tell people you've achieved something, especially if you're looking for a promotion or a raise. If you think they're just going to realize it on their own, you'll be waiting a long time. But even from small things like, oh, you lost weight. You look great. You look happy or your hair looks amazing. And it's no, I haven't washed it in a week. Or, oh, I've gained. And like, we have this practice of constantly deflecting because it, sometimes it does feel uncomfortable to take a compliment. But like you said, if you reject it, it is rejecting the person and saying, no, you're not right. Yeah. <laughs> In the moment when it happened during that conference, it wasn't a tactic. Like you said, I, if anything, I was just trying to get them out of the space so they could go get lunch and I could get lunch because I was pretty hungry too. But as a result, I felt and I gained confidence and it's still a lesson that I have to learn. You know, I'm not walking around like loving all the compliments I might get walking around downtown Los Angeles. You know, some of them I accept and say thank you. Other times I put my sunglasses on and try not to make eye contact. But overall, I try to be grateful for every compliment that I get and then also not hold on to any negativity for too long because that's mm. also feedback. But the good stuff, oh my gosh, just let that come in. The negative stuff, you know, depending on what it is, if it's things that I can't change about, you know, my height, about, how my hair grows out of my, like stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know what to do for you. You can walk away and then you don't have to look at me anymore. But things that might be difficult to hear, sometimes I just kind of let them sit for a minute and then decide, is it something that I can change or want to change? And if it isn't, I'm not going to let myself be sad about it. Mm. I do allow myself to live in the reality sometimes of difficult responses. I don't pretend like they don't exist, but I definitely set a time limit or how long I will let it affect me. Mm, that's a good one. This little thing that they said that I didn't like, I'm not going to give it more than an hour to be upset about or a weekend or whatever it is. But I try not to allow myself to let it overwhelm me, especially again, if it's something that I literally cannot change and or do not want to change about myself. 
That's a great tactic. I never thought of giving something a time limit. You know, like sometimes you naturally do. Like you're upset. There's something disappointing that happens in your career and you throw yourself on the floor and cry for 20 minutes. Then you get up and start working on it again. But like giving it an actual time limit, like maybe even setting a timer is brilliant because you're not denying yourself the feeling, but you're also not allowing yourself to wallow in it, especially when it's an undeserved criticism. Yeah. And, you know, if you know yourself as the being the type of person that can tend to wallow in something or it starts to kind of snowball into other things and like they didn't like my workshop and they also think I'm ugly and they don't know why I, you know, like it starts in your mind, you start adding things to the thing that you heard that you didn't like. And it can become a thing that has you under your bed for a week. If you know you're that type of person, it's helpful to put it in your phone, put it in your calendar to say, okay, enough. I'm giving myself one day, two days, whatever it is to allow myself to feel what I need to feel and then to get over it. I always think it's important to really kind of know who you are, do the work, understand your habits, and then put yourself in a position to be successful where you don't let those things kind of overwhelm you. I love that. And just so we can orient people, can you say like, what is the log line of your workshop Own your story? Oh man, that's a smart way to think about it. You're a professional, a log line. I just want you to know, I thought you were professional before that question. So I didn't mean to say like that made you. That's where I proved myself. Mark it here, folks. This is definitely Los Angeles. What is the log line? I help people create a personal brand story. And that brand story is not everything you've ever done in your life. It's attached to what it is you're trying to achieve right now. It ends with a call to action. What do you want your audience of one or one million to do. Now that they get you on that head and heart level, which is what I coach people to do is to bring out the data, bring out the emotion, create the story. So we understand your individual motivations for why you do what you do. And then tell us what to do with this information. Follow me on social, hire me, be my mentor, sign up for my newsletter. I think a lot of times we tend to, I say we, but you know, it doesn't pertain to everybody, but some folks assume people know what we want. I'm like, just name it, say it out loud. Why are you expecting people to guess? If you want YouTube followers, tell people to follow you on YouTube to subscribe. So the workshop itself helps people get to a point where they feel comfortable and confident in their journey to say those things out loud, to feel okay, touting their successes, Mm -hmm. to feel okay, talking about the hard stuff, the moments of isolation, depression, loss, whatever the realities of one's journey is, but then to move forward with again, a call to action, a way in which you want your audience to support you or the way in which you want to help and serve others, whatever that is. So that's what we spend time doing in the workshop, Own Your Story. And it's called Own Your Story. I didn't call it that. A friend of mine actually named it that. I always tell people after my workshop, you're not done. It's homework. Mm -hmm. It's writing it out and rewriting it, maybe shedding some tears, sharing it with friends or family to the point where you can get it out confidently And then you'll know when you feel like you own it, it will be in your gut. You'll feel it in your chest, but it's my jam. It's my joy. It's a blessing. I love it so much. It's incredible. Well, you're clearly amazing at it. I wonder if there's someone who's listening, who just feels like they couldn't put their life thesis statement or their story into a sentence to save their life right now, but they really yearn for something like they have a dream on their heart. Where's like the first place you orient people when they just feel lost about like who they are, how they come off and how they want to come off to the world? Well, there are a couple of things. So I don't try to put myself in a position to tell people that I can solve all of their problems, right? Like if, you know, they're going through therapy, if they're going through a life change and they're doing some work, like I encourage you to keep doing that. But 
honestly, during this workshop, a lot of times, a lot of emotions can come up for people. They're reminded of stuff like, oh yeah, my family really rejected me here. Or I had a family member commit suicide. I mean, I've heard so many different stories of amazing accomplishments at the same time, a lot of incredibly challenging things people have faced. But I always tell people, you know, if they're trying to create this personal brand story to think about what it is you're trying to achieve right now. And then you'll fill the story kind of back end. Like, again, if you're trying to get listeners to a podcast, we'll use your podcast as an example. Love it. <laughs> Put me in, coach. <laughs> what you want are more listeners, right? Listeners, subscribers, whatever it is. So what do you need to tell potential guests, or I should say, again, potential listeners that get them to want to do it? They want to know what the podcast is about. What kind of guests do you have on? Why do you have a podcast to begin with? Yeah. What made you the person who could be the interviewer? <laughs> And sometimes it's like you just assume people figure it out, but they may not know that. So that's the kind of information that is helpful in creating a personal brand story. Don't assume people know these things about you or assume that they don't want to know those things about you. As humans, we like to know the personal. So go ahead and get in there. And then again, end with whatever it is you're trying to achieve for that particular audience that you're speaking to. That is so brilliant. You know, I work with this guy who used to work in radio and he said this thing to me recently that really revamped my vision because, you know, as an Aquarius, I feel like one of my Achilles heel lessons in life is feeling like I always need to be original, like can't ever repeat myself, can't ever do what everyone else is doing unless it's like totally on my own terms. But sometimes repeating yourself and doing something that's not quote unquote original is actually what's right and authentic. And this guy, Bill, who I work with, who's so smart, said to me when he worked on radio, he was on the number one station, but they were getting a lot of complaints about repetition, like the same songs were playing too many times. And so they were like, okay, well, this is a number one station. If we stop repeating songs, then what could we do? Like our listenership's going to go through the roof. So they stopped repeating songs and the ratings started falling. And so then they started repeating songs again. Again, they went up to number one. So his whole saying is, if you don't have a repetition problem, you have a problem. And I think that we forget that too often as creatives. Like we think, I mean, at least me, I'm a songwriter and I put out music. So I put out my song, you know, two, three times on my Instagram and I'm like, oh my God, well, if I put it out again, I'm bothering people and I'm not original and I need to put out another single. Well, you know, maybe like 1% of my followers saw that song the first, second or third time. And there's new people who might see it too. So why didn't I put it out again on a, you know, little Instagram reel? I just think that's so brilliant. You can't assume that people know who you are, what you want, what you do, and why it should matter to them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great, especially thinking about social media. Like, yeah, we don't control the algorithm. There's no way for us to know technically, you know, who individually saw what, right? We can see numbers, but we don't know who saw it. But even when you think about commercials, for products, you see that stuff all the time. They will keep running that same Doritos commercial or that same State Farm commercial until you wanna throw your television or computer, however you're watching it, right? And every year we hear about Mariah Carey, Thanksgiving is coming, the day after Thanksgiving, all I want for Christmas starts. She's not thinking, oh, they don't wanna hear that song anymore. No, it's time to play it again. So again, like if you are assuming that people, they know what you want from them, they know what inspired you, some people might. It's not bad if they hear it again, but it's also important to make sure that you're consistent. And that means putting yourself out there over and over again, sharing that story, asking for what it is that you want. And sometimes 
your asks are going to be a little bit different. As a producer and host, you're looking not just for people to listen to your podcast, but you're looking for sponsors. You're looking for guests. So you tell different stories to different people because you need different things from them. But the heart of who you are and what you're trying to achieve stays the same. And that's also a lesson that I, I share in the workshop. But yeah, thinking that you have to be so different every time, like I, I won't know you. If you keep changing your hair color, you keep changing your message, I don't know who you are. But if you are consistent with who you are and how you present yourself and even showing you that same commercial or that same piece of music over and over again, that's how I get to know you. And I'm encouraged by you and want to potentially, again, listen, buy the product, buy the service, hire you, whatever those things are. I love all that you're saying. And knowing that we're both multi-passionate creatives, you know, you've got the whole sports world you're delving into. I do music. I do podcast hosting. I do podcast producing. I am starting a public speaking career. How do we stay consistent while we're doing multiple things? Like, how do we let people know, like, hey, I'm doing something different, but it's still me. <laughs> well, I love that you're doing like 100 things. Yeah. We are kindred spirits in that we way. Are. <laughs> I think it's always important to know who your audience is and you might have different types of audiences on different platforms. If your Instagram followers know you for one thing, it won't hurt for you to show them another aspect of your personality or your dreams, but it is important for them to potentially see the connection between the two, but not inundate them with other things that you know they don't care about. Like, I know you want this from me, but I'm going to sing songs from Disney. Like, well, what, what are you doing here? Like, you don't want to be a completely different person to them. But maybe you could be on a different platform like TikTok and that's your audience and you find people who like Disney songs on TikTok, whatever those things are. But I do encourage people to be their whole selves, maybe not every detail of their whole selves, but not be afraid to share that they are struggling, that they're trying to build a new dream and mm. while they have this other dream still being realized. You know, like on my Instagram People knew me a lot for my workshops. And then I started sharing videos of what I was doing in sports. And they were like, oh, this is new. And I'm like, yeah, this is the other thing that I do. I'm going to give you peeks into it, tastes of it. And if you want more, you can go to my YouTube channel, right? So I, I let them kind of make that decision. I don't hide those things from them, but I do make sure that I create content around platforms and individuals based on what they know me for and what they ask from me. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. It's just like basically bringing the people in. I think that that's the biggest thing, like not just being like plop, here's a new thing, but being like, did you know I also love sports? You know, getting them excited about it because you're excited about it. Yeah. And I, I mentioned the fact that I work in sports in my workshop. So for them to now kind of see some of the videos, it's not like a culture shock to them, but it is an understanding of the way in which I approach talking about sports. Now they get to see it a bit. Right. So you and I did a little pregame a couple of days ago before this podcast because we were like, what should we talk about? This is kind of where it's going to turn into a little bit of therapy, but I love it because that's what we're all about on the show. Very pro therapy show. And one thing we talked about is accepting yourself for who you are instead of trying to force yourself into like who you thought you'd be or who you think you should be. And I'm curious because... You know, we talked a little bit about this, but could you bring the audience in on why this has been a topic on your mind lately? Yeah. So I started working in sports in 2016 by creating a YouTube show. I'm 44 today. So if you do some math, it wasn't like I was super young, some kid making a YouTube show. Like I was a grown ass woman. And I started a YouTube show called The Game Last Night. And I had 
gotten some production skills. I developed with this company in Oakland, two guys that I had been working with. We were shooting videos and creating media for some clients. And then afterwards, we would sometimes like go to a bar and watch a Warriors game. And for those of you that don't like basketball, the Warriors aren't Golden State. They play, they now play in San Francisco. In any case, we would go to these bars, get some beers, talk sports. And after a particular Warriors game one night, I said to them, like, I feel like I could do what those guys do, the post-game analysis. I'm like, I could do that. And they're like, yeah, you're good. You know what you're talking about. I'm like, man, I, how do you do? And they're like, well, I'll help you make it. Get on YouTube and do it. And the guys were like my brothers, right? They're like, you're not that ugly. We can help you create a YouTube show. I'm like, oh, I'm not that ugly. All right, let's figure this In out. In fact, you're quite pretty. <laughs> but they're like, you know, brothers. You right. know? So it's not like they're going to be like, so they helped me create the show. So it looked very professional. They'd made movies and things. The cinematography and the guests, I really just kind of harassed people on social media into getting on my show. I still look back at it. I'm like, these are people who won World Series and played in the NFL and they're pro bowlers. But a lot of them were retired. Yeah. So they had all the time in the world <laughs> to talk to me, which was awesome. But that show led to me working for NPR for two years on a sports show that no longer exists. It actually ended during COVID. But had I not created that YouTube show, National Public Radio would never have found me. And I never had it in my mind to work for NPR. I'm an NPR nerd. Never thought that I could work for them. But it was huge. And then that led to where I'm working now with ESPN Radio. But the emotional challenge, I still fight today, even though I've had some successes that I just outlined. The YouTube show never took off. I mean, I probably have like 200 subscribers. I still put videos up. It's not some big thing. I'm not making any money. I'm spending more money than I'm making, of course putting it together in PR was amazing. But as a 44-year-old trying this whole new career, I'm African-American. I'm not 12 pounds. I'm not 22. I'm not white. I do have some blonde highlights. There are a lot of physical challenges, right? If you're trying to be on TV, you're trying to be on social, talking about sports, a lot of women look the same and mm -hmm. they're 20 years younger than I am. So every, every now and then I run into this, like, what am I even doing? Where is this going? Why am I doing it? I stopped shooting videos for about a month and just trying to think, is this what I want to do? Is this what I really want to spend my time and my effort doing if it's not going to go anywhere? Is anybody even watching this? And then I was like, yeah, just do it. Who cares? Yeah. And when I came back, I admitted to the audience that had been watching, like I took a break because I wasn't sure. And the flood of people saying, don't ever go away again. Where have you been? We missed you. Of course, again, it's not millions, right? Because again, yeah. my show still hasn't wildly taken off, but it was enough to hear that people missed me. And they were like, if you go away again, one guy said, if you go away, I'm calling my congressman. <laughs> You're like, I could actually call him for you. I used to work for him. <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like it is enough that I love it. It's a bonus when other people love it. And it's an even bigger bonus when they miss you. So instead of thinking I had to look a certain way and be a certain age and have a certain audience for that to be valuable, I realized, and I'm again, I have to get up every morning and kind of remind myself that it's okay, that it's just something that I really enjoy and that other, you know, a handful of other people enjoy it from me. It's worth the effort. And I've already seen the fruits of my labor and that creating that YouTube show got me to NPR, got me to ESPN. So it's like, I have examples. Yeah. It's not like those are schlubby brands. <laughs> right? But sometimes when you're in it, it doesn't feel as amazing, right? So right. it's like you have to take a step back and be like, oh, wait, yeah, I have done some things. 
And it's okay if it doesn't feel, if it's not automatic, it didn't just one day blow up. It's fine that it's been incremental. If anything, it's helped me to sharpen my skills and kind of focus and all those things and just get better. And yeah, so it's like, I'm not the person that I thought I would be at this age in this particular career in this industry, but that's okay. I love what you just said. That's basically what my 2022 was, was coming to realizations like that about my creative career. And specifically with music, I really relate to how you feel about sports because I've invested way more in it than I've gotten back. I mean, I've made money when I've done live shows, but like really other than that, I've never made a dime off of music. Oh, no. I also did a like a short film and I like wrote the theme song for it and I got money for that. So that was cool. And like you like had some like recognition from big brands like was published in People Magazine and Yahoo and on these cool morning shows that one of them was like across a national show. But it just feels like sometimes my dream doesn't want me. And so what I've had to battle in the past year is, well, is outside recognition why you're doing this? And the answer for me was a resounding no. Like whether or not I ever make a dime off of music, I actually can't stop writing music. Like the way I started writing music was when I fell asleep at night, songs were coming to me and I would sing them into my phone. It was a Blackberry at the time, believe it or not. (laughs) But I like dream songs. Like songwriting, music, it's not going away for me. Just like your passion for sports, you could try, but it's not going to work because it's who you are. It's your story. And so while I am externally driven and I'm a very ambitious person and I hope, I really hope that millions of people do hear my music someday, I also know I can't stop because it would be like asking me not to, like, I don't want to be like dramatic, but like basically like not to breathe. Like singing is so innately a part of me. Like there's videos of me as a one and a half year old singing I had a karaoke machine when I was two and a half, you know? So I think what you're saying is so beautiful. And the fact that people said they missed you, like that brought tears to my eyes. I mean, hopefully, I hope for you because you deserve it and you're an amazing person and you're great at what you do. I hope you reach millions with your sports broadcasting and hosting and whatever else you want to do in that realm. And I hope the same for me and my music. But As long as we're impacting someone and making someone feel seen and less alone and part of a community, that is so beautiful. And the other thing I learned in this past year was I produced Glennon Doyle's show and we had on this guest. Her name was Kristen. She's a professional soccer player. And she talked about how she thinks having big dreams is good because it takes you on the journey. Like having that massive dream is what puts you on the journey, but your worth isn't in whether or not you ever get it. Your worth is on the inside. I appreciate you sharing that. You're preaching to me right now, Lauren, speaking to my heart right now, reminding me of it. When you think about people who've had a ton of success in whatever field, maybe you're like, I want a career like this singer, or I'm like, I want to be on TV talking about sports like that person. They are thinking, they are wanting to get even better. They yeah. want to get a bigger platform. So it's like, if you're constantly chasing these, you never have a chance to enjoy it. So I'm trying to enjoy every like, every comment, everything that somebody says, like, even if they don't agree with my take on yeah. something in sports, the fact that they're engaging with me, I'm like, they're listening. This is cool. So I'm trying to enjoy the journey as well as every destination, every dream that I hit. Like I live in downtown LA, which of course I've shared with you and I've lived here for two years now. 
And when I moved into my building, it was still during COVID. And I was like kind of getting familiar with the area. I'm from the Bay Area. So living in downtown LA, it was not something I ever thought I would do. But I randomly walked down the street in a particular direction and I saw the ESPN building. I didn't know I lived in walking distance to ESPN LA. I took a picture. I posted it on my Instagram stories and I wrote future employer. And some women who had been following me through my workshop were like, yes, girl, get after it, dream big. And it was honestly one year later that I got hired at ESPN Radio. Now, it's not the big ESPN because there's radio stations all over the country. And I had to be reminded of that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I asked for. And had I not been doing the work, had I not been creating those videos, ESPN would not have seen me. They wouldn't have put me on the air. And now it feels like I got to be even bigger. But I had to first get the ESPN spot. So that's what I'm saying, like, enjoying the journey, having those little goals, achieving those goals and getting even bigger ones, enjoying every step of the way, but also pushing yourself beyond what you thought you were capable of. It's so huge and it's fueling, you know, it's emotionally fueling to have those victories, but also to see other people like you striving for their goals, despite what it might look like from the outside. Oh, she doesn't have a million followers, a million views, but seeing you keep doing it helps me to keep doing it. And the people who are listening to us today are going to want to keep doing whatever it is that they're trying to do too. It's like we owe it to each other to keep pursuing this stuff because we're feeding off each other. And I, I hope people are, if they have a dream in their heart, it exists for a reason and it's going to stay. It will keep pounding at you. You'll keep dreaming about it. So your job is to put it out there and the rest of the universe, God, they'll figure it out for you. Right. But it's like you said, you won't be able to breathe Singing is breathing, doing these reports, doing these workshops, that, that is my air, that is my ministry. I can't not do it. And then the success is, again, the bonus. It's the sugar on top. It's the whipped cream. It's the champagne. I don't know if you can tell that I'm hungry and thirsty for <laughs> ice cream and champagne. By <laughs> But in any case, That's yeah. a meal of champions. Oh my gosh. Again, you brought tears to my eyes, but like, it's crazy that we doubt something when you got such a clear sign. You know, it was like you literally asked for something and then you said almost a year to the date, it came true. Like, how can we yep. doubt these things? We get so down in those moments of disappointment that we doubt, even when we have, this probably isn't the right term, but empirical evidence <laughs> that states otherwise. Clearly you're in flow with this. It might just not be on your timeline. How do you deal with that, though? Because like that's been my biggest struggle is the patience and knowing that maybe my timeline is longer and bigger than what I thought it would be or what I thought it should be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, two things what, that came to me when you said that is one, I feel like I'm not against people, I, like I said earlier, feeling your feelings, set a time limit for your pity parties. Don't feel bad about having doubt and feeling mm. bad. Cause like, if you feel bad about something, why add the layer of feeling bad about feeling bad? Like, yeah, just, like let's no just shame. End all of the feelings. Take the shame out. Feel the feelings. But I think it's just a constant thing that you have to do. Remind yourself that you can't control the timeline. 
there are only so many aspects of what you do that you can control. You can control the writing, you can control the music, the production, and the timeline of putting it out there. The rest of it is up to the audience. The rest of it is up to executives and people in power and positions that can support your career. You can't really make them do anything. So let go of that pressure on yourself to achieve something in a particular timeline and just allow yourself to control the things you can control, feel the things that you feel, and do the work. I mean, there are plenty of people who would look at my sports career and be like, it is not fair that you've had this amount of success and this amount of years. I started YouTube in 2016. 2018, I was working on NPR. 2021, I started working at ESPN. I don't have a broadcasting degree. I didn't play professional sports. Like I shouldn't even be allowed to do this. It was just a dream in my heart because I love sports. And like you said, like you're going to make music no matter what. I'm going to watch the sports anyway. Yeah, I'm going to have feelings about the sports anyway. So I may as well talk about them, right? So some folks be thinking, are likely thinking she's had so much success. She hasn't had to like, you know, move to some small town in Texas and report on T-ball. She went right into professionals. So other people might be looking at my life thinking I've got it made. So that's why I feel like it's not helpful to either think that you can control a timeline, get mad about a timeline or compare yourself to others because other people are thinking, wow, Lauren is so lucky. I wish I could be where she is. As often as you can, just be okay with where you are mm -hmm. and don't feel bad about not being able to control the things that are just beyond your control. When you get caught in a comparison trap, because it typically happens to all of us at some point, even if we actively try to avoid it, how do you pull yourself out? Well, I luckily I'm not the type to compare myself that much because I do think my life is kind of wild. It doesn't make any sense. You know, like no one has really done exactly what I've done. Even like my good friends, they're married. They've got kids. I'm not married. I have no kids. I've never wanted to be married and have kids. I work random hours. You know, I don't stress over Monday. I mean, there's no difference between a Wednesday and a Saturday to me. So luckily I've kind of created a life that it's really unique. So there's really no comparison, mm. but it's not as if I don't ever do it. Right. Like I said, there are women who are in sports and men in sports that look a certain way, that talk a certain way that I just am nothing like, but I've tried to see that as an asset. My opinions are different because of what I look like, how I grew up. My parents were born and raised in the segregated South. Segregation ended the year they went to high school. They moved to California because they were hippies. So like just that background wow. makes me different, <laughs> you know, California kid. It's wild. We can get them on a <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to have to do a full debrief of your childhood and how it's led you to this moment. <laughs> That's wild. But what I learned from my parents who learned from their parents is every generation of black people in this country experiences a whole new world because laws have changed, access has changed. So the best we can do is dream and to do our best to make those dreams a reality so the next generation can dream even bigger. I feel like that's my only responsibility, to dream and try. So my nieces and nephews dream and try for the next layer. So because of that, it helps me to not compare myself. Because even if I try to compare myself to my parents, their lives were completely different. Having grown up in segregation in the South and Northern Florida, which is like almost Alabama, it was mm. king of Ku Klux Klan territory. And then to grow up in the Bay Area and California, completely different life. So thinking about how there are so many external things that affect people different ways helps me to not compare because it's not valuable. And so I encourage people, like, instead of just thinking at the things that you see on social media and comparing, like, you have no idea 
how they paid for it or what struggles they went through. So there's really no point. If you're not enjoying the experience, shut it down and do something else. But do whatever it takes to escape that trap of comparing yourself because it's really pointless. It's really pointless. That is so helpful. I've never heard anyone say something more helpful when it comes to comparison. I also love the fact that if you are going to start comparing, instead of saying like, well, what do they have that I don't in a bad way? You say it in a good way. What do I have that they don't? And how can I fill in that hole that's clearly in the industry? Yeah. The niche. Yeah. You being you is completely different than who that person is. Like that is so amazing. Right. It's beautiful. Tap into that. Tap into that individuality as a, instead of trying to be like the thing you already see. That thing already exists. Being you is the unique stuff. And that is what people are going to be attracted to, you being you and finding your audience based on the honesty of your journey, the honesty of your goals, your mission. They're going to be attracted to that as opposed to you being a cut and paste of somebody else. One thing on the show I try to give people tools for because I feel like it holds us back from a lot is fear. Like, I don't think we need to get rid of fear. I don't think that's realistic or even smart, but I do think I don't want it to be what's making my decisions or anyone else's. So like, how can we take fear out of the driver's seat, at least put it shotgun so that we're the ones making the choices? Where are you at with your relationship with fear? And what's your advice for somebody who is trying to get it out of the driver's seat? I always encourage people to not wait for fear to disappear before you do something because you'll be waiting forever. It's the unknown stuff that makes you scared. Once you're in it, you can navigate it. Once you've tried and you've stepped out, now you've got a better picture, a better glimpse of what reality is. And now you can adapt to it. But if you're just living in your head and living in fear, all types of things can come to mind. So I encourage people to not wait for fear to cease or to leave and I guess it's kind of piggybacking what I've already said about putting a time limit on pity parties, also putting a time limit on fear, creating some things that you need to do. Like, so when I, seven or eight o'clock at night is when I, I like to munch on stuff, chips, French fries, any kind of form of a potato. I'm like, let's get after it. And then I have to follow <laughs> it up by sugar. Let's get after it. So if I don't want to fall into a trap of like gaining weight, losing weight, feeling unhealthy, breaking out. If I'm going to snack, buy snacks that are good for me, right? Like I'm not going to not have French fries or chips. That's impossible. It's going to happen. But maybe buy a grab bag instead of a big bag, get a grab bag of chips and then have grapes or watermelon or some kind of a sweet fruit if that's what I need. So it's about knowing yourself. If you know that certain aspects of what you're trying to achieve are fearful, what are the things that you can do to kind of make that fear tamper down a bit. Again, it's not going to completely go away, likely. But what are some things that you can do, some action items to help you get over that fear? Is it practicing more? Is it calling a friend? Is it writing it out? Writing out all the possible things that could go wrong. Oh, I could lose a leg. I can lose an eye. I can, you know, I don't know. Hopefully it won't be that dramatic. It's going to be my life as a pirate. <laughs> I might end up with a peg leg. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> But just write out all of the scary things and then think about like, is this realistic? Is this a realistic thing to be scared of? Or how much weight should I put to fearing this? Ooh, Is it a 10 or is it a two? It's a two, so I'm only going to fear it on a two level. Those types of exercises can help you manage those fears in a realistic way, as opposed to feeling like you could just free willing it, just like a diet. I'm like, I can't free will it. I can't just go day by day. I have to create a plan. And the plan is a grab bag of chips and some fruit as often as possible. 
And if you're fearful of certain things, write it out, create some levels and be prepared for those feelings of fear anyway to show up and have a way to confront them. And that can help, again, tamper it down. So brilliant. Like fear can feel like the boogeyman a lot of times, you know, it's like you don't know where they are, but they're always lurking. But when you visualize it and see it in front of you and then put a number to it, maybe that fear is still going to be there. It probably will. But it's not in control anymore because you know exactly how much space it holds in your life. And if you've got, you know, if you start kind of crossing them off, right, like I crossed off that two, I crossed off. I confronted this and now it's a four. And you can look back and say, wow, look at all of the fears that I conquered. Now I'm prepared to take on that 10 or that 20, however you've numbered it, right? Like you can look back at some successes and say, I've achieved, I've overcome some certain things. So there's nothing to be too scared of now. Yeah. I flex that muscle. It's what I call microdosing courage. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's incredible. You're incredible. I could talk to you all day, you know, but I want to get into the book today. You'll have to come back and we'll do many different episodes throughout the series. That will be really fun. (laughs) But I want to talk about your book. Let's get into it. Tell me about it. So the book is called Ask Olivia. And here's the fun part. The subtitle is An Entrepreneur's Advice on the Entrepreneurial Life. I'm like, it just rolls off the tongue. So easy to say. I just have that tattooed on my lower back. But that book came out of an advice column that I wrote for a client of mine that I actually got as a result of Girlboss. Wow, really? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Girlboss was, I was planning on doing my workshop again in March of 2020. I think the conference was in April and Vistaprint was going to sponsor my workshop. So of course the world shut down and the conference didn't happen, but I was like, well, if they were going to pay for the workshop, they should just, we should connect. So Tanya at Girlboss connected me to Vistaprint. I contacted them. I was like, you're about to pay for my workshop. Let's do something together. They ended up being a client of mine. I worked with them for about 18 months and I did tons of things with them. The advice column, I hosted some online content for them about being home and working from home and helping small businesses, but they also print stuff. And I was like, let's turn my advice column into a book. And they were like, sure. So they printed my book. They gave me a bunch of copies and said that I could sell them. I've shared that story before. And I wanted to share it with you because you were there when I was talking to Sophia. But also because I had to ask for what I wanted. Instead of just being like, oh, the conference isn't happening. Goodbye. I was like, well, let's get on this train. Vistaprint wanted to sponsor my workshop. So they knew what I was doing. And like I said, it turned into an incredible relationship and I'm likely going to be working with them again later on in the year. So the book itself is just small pieces of advice wrapped in stories about my own professional journey Mm -hmm. and questions that people have asked me along the way. You know, I'm not curing cancer. It's not words coming from on high or Oprah didn't whisper them in my ear or anything. They're just things that I've learned But I tell them in story fashion, like, this is what happened to me. This is what my mom and dad said. My big brother said this. And here's what I, so it's another layer and opportunity for me to hopefully encourage people, inspire people, help them know that they're not alone, especially entrepreneurs. It's really life advice, but especially entrepreneurs, it's filled with stuff to help you kind of manage your emotions. Oh, good. And to like, we talked about managing fear managing loss, telling your story, finding your audience, all of those types of things. So where can we get it? Go to my website, 
Okay. I don't know why I started singing. Lauren, maybe we should sing together. As yes, well. no, please. I'm just kidding. I cannot sing. I cannot sing. My website is oliviachristian.co. There's a tab on there for shop. You can get the hard copy. You can get an audio book. If you don't hate my voice after today, you can listen to me talking through my advice on my audio book. But it's an, just another layer of stuff that I wanted to do to encourage people and hopefully tell it in a way that's not like high on the mountain, just real stuff. You know, like this is the reality of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think you do high on the mountain, so I can't imagine you wrote it. <laughs> like, actually, it's an old English and you have to have tea. And no. Yeah. No. It's chill. It's going to be chill because you're chill, but also very intentional. Okay. Final question. You talked about what you teach in the Own Your Story workshop. What is your story today and what is your call to action? My personal call to action, what I'm trying to achieve for myself, I am my own audience in this. My call to action is to keep going, mm. keep trying, keep putting it out there. My call to action for listeners is to please go to my website and find out some more information about what I do. I would love to help support and encourage people. You don't have to buy a book. If you want to buy a book or an audio book, that's great. But if after hearing our conversation, people have questions for me or they want to share their story, please do. I love hearing from people. So I just want everyone to feel like I am someone they can connect with. I'm the youngest of four, but I'm happy to be a big sister Aww. to others. And I just want to create a support system. So I'm here for you. And what's your story? <laughs> well, you know, my one liner is I create platforms for people to share their story. So I do that through my workshop. I do that through my sports radio show. I do that through the game last night, my YouTube show. So as much as I've been talking today, I try not to actually talk that much. I create platforms for other people to talk. So when people ask me things like, what's your story? I'm like, hmm, I'm yeah. not ready. You tell me yours instead. <laughs> well, that is your story. You literally create energetic space for people to share who they are and what their deepest soul desire is. And that's a pretty damn good story, if you ask me. It sounds so much bigger when you say it, but I'm like, actually, I mean, that is kind of true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for helping me, for helping our sweet listeners contemplate what their own story is, how to take fear out of the driver's seat, and how to go toward their dream and ask for help in getting there. I appreciate you. I appreciate you extending this opportunity to connect with your audience. Congratulations on what you built. I hope you're proud of yourself. I'm Thank proud you. of you. And I hope you keep going. So I love that you said keep going. I don't believe in never give up because you're constantly reading the words give up. <laughs> Even though never <laughs> is in front of it, you're still reading give up. So I like to say always keep going. And so I love that you use that terminology too. I want all of us today to always keep going as long as you love it keep going. Can I add something to that? Please give us the button. <laughs> we'll try to button it. But in the book, I talk about this and that you're not likely going to love every aspect of doing what you love. The building it part can be hard. It can be intimidating. It could feel like you're never going to get there. So as an example, doing my workshop, I'm at a point now where a lot of individuals and organizations seek me out. But initially I had to do the work of trying to find clients, right? And that kind of work was the worst. It felt like I was begging to get hired. I'm like, Ugh, do I seem pathetic? And like that stuff is scary. But the end result was being able to do the workshop itself. And that's what I loved. 
So if people are expecting to enjoy every aspect of the journey or to feel like if I'm living my dream, I'm living my passion, I'm going to love it all, you're not. So it's not about enjoying every aspect of what you're doing. It is the journey and the destination at the same time, trying to make sure that you're focused on the end result. What is it you're trying to achieve for yourself or for others? That is the dream. The work to get there can be hard. Mm. It can be devastating. It can be soul crushing at point, but you keep going because you get to get on stage. You get to play your music. You get to do your workshop. That is the reward is that space. But the hard stuff, there's no escaping it. Yeah. So just keep going. Always keep going. Yeah, it's so true. You have to love the heart of your dream, you know, whatever the thing is, like for you, sports or music or podcasting. But a lot of times there's a lot of icky things in between you and the love. <laughs> like you got to reach out to people. You got to get them scheduled. And how's their mic going to, and like, ugh, you have to go through it. And then you get to have this wonderful conversation. Yeah. And then when you're done, you got to go do more work. You got to edit, right? All that stuff can be interesting, can be fun, but it feels so much better when you're doing either the interview and you put it out there into the world. So you kind of have to go through the shit to, to get to the glory. Yeah. So the glory's on the other side. Stay on the road to glory, my babes. All right. <laughs> Love you, Olivia. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Olivia Christian. For more info on Olivia, follow her at oliviachristian.co and visit her website, oliviachristian.co, where you can learn more about her Own Your Story workshop, see her sports show, The Game Last Night, and find a copy of her book, Ask Olivia, an entrepreneur's advice for the entrepreneurial life. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode of Unleash. You can follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend, like literally text it to them. Podcasts are mostly spread person to person. So if you love this, share the gift of this show with someone you love. And post about it on social media. If you tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guest at oliviachristian.co so she can share as well. My wish for you this week is that if you love your dream and your creative passion, you find a way to rediscover the joy, keep going, and own your story. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.